Traveling the Vortex. We've joined a doctor and an assassin named Killy McDeath as they travel the vortex and arrive at episode 471. Mr. Sean likes singing. Singing and killing. I'm Keith. <laughs> I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. Sean's going to sing and then kill us. Who told you? It's a very bad kept secret. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately for you gentlemen, I never sing on Tuesdays. Oh, that's good. I'm all right. How are you? Doing all right. Hang it in there. We'll find out after tonight. There is that. Did you guys do anything fun this week? Mandalorian's back. Jump in anytime. Mandalorian is so back. (laughs) Man, it looks good, too. First episode was terrific. We've all seen the first episode, yeah? So, Glenn, you've not seen it yet? Yeah, I have. Oh, yeah. Okay. We're we're just uh, taking care for any of our listeners who maybe have not. And if you have not seen it, drop everything and go watch it you can resume our podcast after you watch it it's fine that's oh, so good um wasn't that wasn't that good didn't we tell you oh man it was so good <laughs> i thought it started off kind of slow and meandering but it really really picks up and does really good and then that shock ending which i don't know that we should be able to talk about yet but that was pretty cool not not really a shock ending in fact it wasn't much of a surprise but it was still no. a kind of a it was still kind of a jaw drop moment that it happened there i didn't I expect it so soon more surprised yeah definitely not so soon and i was also surprised that um timothy elephant's character was who he actually who he was and like the room the fact that the rumors of that's who he was playing was true oh yeah because it's a character that are in it's in three chapters and three books, and <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I finished the novelization for Enlightenment. I just kind of got this. I think it was back when we reviewed the uh, the short story that was in uh, the Doctor Who annual. Uh, what was it? The Guide to the Dark Times. And part of that was talking about the Eternals. And I thought, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't uh, seen that episode, Enlightenment, for a long time, the Fifth Doctor episode. And instead of picking it up off the shelf, I grabbed the book <laughs> and decided I was going to do the novelization. <laughs> Although the plan is to follow it up and this week sometime watch the uh, episodes themselves. But uh, novelization was pretty good. I I had forgotten pretty much a lot of the details of it. But it's really well written, and uh, I enjoyed it. No big Curious. revelations. Read no, the book. Yeah, no big revelations that were you know different from the the. The TV episode, but that's pretty much typical for Target novelizations. Everybody have a happy Halloween, I guess. Yeah, we uh, we threw together kind of a neat little decor in our garage in order to kind of play it safe this year. We put uh, tables out in front of our garage and put candy on it, and then we kind of did a little inset into our garage and decorated with some you know, Jack Skellington, and we've got a, a Oogie Boogie and Zero and some bats and some scary things, and we put all our, you know, tabletop Halloween stuff, not all of it, but some of our tabletop Halloween stuff in the back and just made a little scene uh, to go along with. You know, we always decorate with our little graveyard and and lights in the bushes and things like that, but this kind of added to it this year. And we got a lot of compliments. In fact, we got a lot of people thanking us for, you know, playing it safe, but also, you know, uh, celebrating and and 
giving something for kids to look at. So I, I felt pretty good about that. So you had quite a few people come by? We did. I think t- in all we had between 50 and 55 kids, which oh, was, wow. which was I mean, most of them were groups. So I'm not counting groups. I'm counting individual kids. Um, Groups-wise, there was probably 20, maybe 20 total groups of people. But there were they were large groups. And I, part of that, I think, was because we had our scenes set up or our decorations and we're so close to gauge. We had a few people that said they were driving by and their kids said, Oh, over there, go over there and came over. And in fact, there was Hmm. one group that came by that said that there was nobody in their neighborhood that was passing out candy this year. And so they just got in the car and started driving because she wanted her kids to be able to celebrate. And that's when they saw our house and stopped. So we got people outside of our neighborhood, which we don't have a lot of kids in our neighborhood anyway. So we never get very many. But for this being the COVID year, I really expected a lot fewer than we got. And we got probably what's average for us, I think, we might have gotten more this year had it not been COVID. But we were we were pretty happy. Oh, that's cool. Nice. We just took the kids around to the grandparents and then went to a couple of Sarah's mom's neighbors and wound up going to a very, very small trunk or treat at a church nearby that was everyone in masks and socially distanced and it was pretty nice and Jim had fun so that's what mattered yeah that's an important thing I saw the pictures of your kids they were both adorable oh thank you Liam really liked his costume he, <laughs> he fussed when we first put it on him and then he saw himself in the mirror and was like oh I am adorable <laughs> well you had great <laughs> smiles from both of them I, that was very impressive yeah. was, those were like perfect pictures I thought Shy looked cute in her uh, outfit too I wasn't sure what she was supposed to be though um, you know, that's funny. Mel came home with that costume and just beamed over it. And I thought it was amazing. And Shai thought it was amazing. And Mel thought it was amazing. And none of us are really sure what it is. <laughs> it's adorable. She looks <laughs> really cute. cute into it. Uh, what kind of Holly and I thought was it, it kind of looks like a little, those little dance outfits that, you know, sometimes they have. So yeah, the closest I could come up with is like a cigarette girl. And it's like, I'm sure oh, that's yeah. not the appropriate. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> Although had you, uh, had you gotten one of those, uh, you know, half boxes with the strap, and put it on there. That's exactly what I was. I would have said. Yeah. Oh yeah, she's a cigarette girl. But um, you know, you 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 don't do that anymore. No, so. <laughs> no, no. not very PC. <laughs> but now we we played it. Uh, we played it pretty safe and quiet. We uh, you know uh, wore the costume uh, around. Didn't even really trick or treat around here because there wasn't uh, hardly anybody on the street doing it. And we walked to the park uh, and played for a little bit, and then came home at dusk and uh, sheltered in and watched Hocus Pocus and called it a night. So. I love Hocus Pocus. I didn't get around to watching it this year, but I really like that movie. That's an annual that uh, of all things. And I know, you know, I, I go back and forth on this. I see a lot of people on Letterboxd that just kind of want to rip it a new one because, oh, it's a terrible movie. It doesn't make any sense plot-wise. It blah, blah, blah. And when you really start to break down those arguments, yeah, but you know what? That's all true. I can't, yeah. I can't debate any of that. But I also don't care. I think performance. It is so fun <laughs> yeah performance wise it's it's terrific everybody on there really acts like they love what they're doing in it and yeah it's just a lot of fun apparently disney announced uh, uh that they are doing the, the the often talked about were actually materializing hocus pocus 2 yeah i saw that and uh, uh bet are actually confirmed that yes they have talked to us and yes we're going back to do it yeah. so there's apparently light at the end of that tunnel finally jim and i watched toy story of terror well, that's I watched it. Gemma kind of played. I hadn't seen that one before. It was it was very cute. Yeah, that's a fun one. I like it. 
All right, well, no news this week, so should we go ahead and move on to our reviews? He kills me. He kills me not. From Big Finish Productions. If you allow me to end her life, then we could stop all this excessive exertion. I wouldn't need to run. You wouldn't need to run, and she wouldn't need to breathe. Doesn't that sound nice? Doctor Who, Time Lord Victorious. He kills me, he kills me not. Days since last mortality, 2023. You must be disappointed that the number is so high. It's called Brian. Brian? What kind of name for an assassin is Brian? Two planets away from Athana is... No, don't tell me, don't tell me. I know this. It is Genophil. No, Hawkesila. What happened to Genophil? Never heard of it. This is vexing. It's not about the statue. It's what it represents. Or rather, what its absence represents. When something as steadfast, solid and fixed in time as the statue of Kithal just disappears, there must be something very wrong with time itself. Big finish. We love stories. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> there were things in this that I really liked. Um, as always, Paul McGann was, was, you know, top of that list. Uh, anytime he shows up, it's the eighth doctor. It is uh, worth writing home about. I enjoyed the interplay, um, between most of the characters. I enjoyed Brian immensely. Um, the setting. <laughs> wow. This is frustrating. I really enjoy, well, let me rephrase I really want to enjoy whenever Doctor Who does a Western. <laughs> and as of yet, I still feel like they haven't done it. Every single one that that I'm familiar with. Well, they've done it. They just like haven't it, done it well. <laughs> well, yeah. Just every, every single one they've done it several times. De-evolves into this pantomime. Uh, this is what we think maybe a Western is like. It's like if you fed all of the Western tropes into a computer and had it write an adventure, that's kind of what the Doctor Who ones feel like. They get some of it, but then there's other things that's like, okay. Um, and I don't know if it was on the advice of, of the director that some of the accents were so over the top. And we, we've discussed this before, that when the Brits try to do American accents, they either come out deep fried southern or the bronx and deep fried southern not, not all sort of not works. all brits but it it does certainly happen a lot it it, it, it tends to, to turn out that way and while deep fried southern certainly can work for a western the sheriff drove me absolutely nuts with howdy y'all it was so so far reaching over the top. Yeah, well, I think even the even the bar in owner was just a little bit too hammy, too. Which yeah. is ironic, because he is American. Yeah. Then he yeah. should know better. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Then he put too much on it. That's what makes me think that maybe the director was pushing for more. I think that's... The, the, the problem I have with this is I really like the setting. I like the idea of the Wild West setting on another planet. But I don't think you have to have all of the tropes with a Western when you're doing a Western. I don't think you have to have that, you know, 1950s 
you know, as you said, very southern draw. Uh, what what did you call it? Uh, southern fried <laughs> draw. What did you call it? Southern fried draw. Deep yeah. southern fried draw. I, I don't think you have to have that in order to still sell it and make it feel like a western. But yeah, I just I think the two parts just really pushed it way too much. Both the sheriff and that that inn owner. Um, I, well, and even the doctor guy. Even the doctor. You, I, I, I didn't. I his accent bothered me more than the end guy. Oh, he sounded right? so putting on airs, like he was really digging deep to be Western and, and so gravelly. And, and honestly, my first thought was, did they get Klieg Lars to come in here and voice this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, uh, kind of who he reminded me of. But. It's funny you say that because that one didn't bother me so much, but I think it's the gravel in the voice. And I think that it worked because there are so many Westerns from the fifties and sixties that I've watched, you know, even some of the recurring ones like Bonanza or, you know, little Austin Prairie, those kind of things where you've got that guy and he sounds like that. And the gravel voice sells, sells it to me, but the other two just didn't weren't quite there. And I think that's why I zero in on them, but you're right. He was pushing the ham as well. It just, to me, it, it was a little more appropriate for his character. Now what's frustrating about all that is this is a funny story. There is a ton of humor at mm-hmm. work here. And I think the humor would have been stronger and funnier had the rest of the setting elements not been so played up. I, I think it would have allowed the humor to kind of, you know, to come through on its own as opposed to just being yet another ridiculous moment in a series of ridiculous moments. Right, right. Well, I think that's what makes it feel so much like a pantomime is the fact that it was not taking itself too seriously, which, as you say, I agree, was good for the story. But then to have that within the setting that they did it, it just doesn't doesn't work as didn't gel. It it worked fine. I I enjoyed the story. It just didn't gel as well as it could have. Keith, you've been quiet. Well, I, I, I agree with you guys, the sentiments about that aspect of it, but as far as the story goes, I I really in, I enjoyed that aspect of it. I thought the the plot of what's really going on between these two women and Brian was intriguing, and you at the beginning never really quite know which way it's going to go. And then also on top of it, the mystery of where this wonder of the universe really has gone, and it took me a little bit to realize, oh, that's what's happening here is the fact that what the 10th doctor has done is a, this, this is a ripple effect that's being seen mm-hmm. and f- is set obviously before the novel that we read. So I enjoyed it, kind of parsing the story out and seeing how everything goes, fits in together right. and uh, the resolution while it felt a little bit rushed, it felt necessary also setting up future stories, uh, both for Brian and obviously the eighth doctor. So, the kind of fact that, that these two women get to live on this desert planet and be happy, even though it was kind of a real quick thing, I I, I found it satisfactory. Yeah, I was I was glad for the happily ever after story. A lot of times, you know, they they kind of take these stories in a different direction, but this is one of those ones that it did, it ended very tropish. It ended, you know, happily ever after. But I agree, because of where we needed to position the Eighth Doctor and Brian, this needed to be finalized in such a way that we could advance their story and give that kind of, you know, cliffhanger moment. 
Um, I really, yeah, really they get a happy ending at least up until the doctor fixes whatever paradox. He's well, created, yeah, and good the point. Planet right. reverts back to being <laughs> a paradise with a big statue on it, and the Western and town isn't there, and who knows what happens to them? <laughs> Especially since the planet they came from doesn't exist. Yeah. Right, right. Um, well, I think maybe that's dropped in such a way that you know, if if things go back to normal, well, they weren't meant to exist anyway, I suppose. Um, I'm so glad that they got Silas Car- Carson to do Brian, yeah. especially since has been, he's been the voice of the Ood in the TV series all along. He sells it. He does it so well. In fact, his portrayal of Brian, and I think it comes down to the writing of the, of the character as well, but his portrayal of Brian is pretty much... Uh, as similar as it can be, as I read Brian as a character in the in the novel. Yeah, you know what's funny is I, I was listening to the uh, uh, bonus features um, at the end of the story, uh-huh. and they commented on that how fortunate and, and lucky they were to to get him back uh, as the voice of the youth because of all his things. And I thought to myself, yeah, it would have been I think really jarring if he hadn't already voiced Brian. And it was weird to me that they specifically said he was the voice of the Ood. And I was like, well, he was Brian. And then I had to stop myself and go, wait a minute. No, that wasn't an audio that we listened to. That was a book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he he definitely sold it for you. (laughs) I had convinced myself that this guy, this is what, this is what Brian sounds like. Well, suppose, well, uh, I suppose part of that been, comes from the fact that you you hear the Ood's voice in your head when Brian is when you're reading Brian's lines, and mm-hmm. Silas Carson has already cemented that from the series, and so that's how you hear it in your head. So that's why it makes sense that you would think that. Yeah, this I was going to say energy. other than Brian Cox, he's the only person who's ever voiced an Ood. But it's it's just very much a case of perfect synergy, not only with the fact that. The, the voice portrayal of the Ood in the show is so distinctive, yeah. other than Brian Cox, that the writing of Brian, even though he's an assassin, even though he's kind of nuts, even though he's got these other idiosyncrasies to him, it doesn't matter. He's still an Ood. Yeah. And that came through in the text, which I you know fully attribute to, to the writer, writers. I, I think he also delivers on the madness, that kind of undercurrent of madness that Brian has. And I think he, he sells it really well, especially when he is with, um, oh, what's the girl? Was it, was it Catherine or was it Felicity? It was Felicity. It was Catherine was the one that he had was holding hostage, right? Catherine was the sheriff. So oh, I'm sorry. Felicity or Sophie. Sophie, Sophie. Okay. So Sophie. it was Felicity. Yeah. Uh, when, it's very sold when they, when they're exchanging their scenes together, they're exchanging lines together. It, there's very much that undercurrent of madness underneath the civility and the uh, kind of level headedness of the character. And I think he sells it really well, especially in those back and forths between the two. Well, and he's also got that, um, the very logical nature of his insanity. Yeah. That everything he says totally makes sense in a strange way to him. When, when he's, you know, uh, you wouldn't have to run anymore. I wouldn't have to run anymore. She wouldn't have to breathe anymore. Isn't this just a preferable, <laughs> you know, and you're listening to this and you're kind of just hypnotically being lured along going, yeah, yeah, I see where, wait a minute. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> when it takes such a, a line that could be menacing and almost makes it funny. Yeah, it yeah. definitely does. 
There's still a significant amount of menace there, I think. But, oh, I don't have yeah. You're right. It, it is very funny. Well, it's just, it's it, it the the story does a really good job of being both humorous and dark at the same time, and not in a sense of how you know dark humor plays, but in the sense that there is a genuine threat. There is something that you're worried about. There is the suspense and the build up, build up of what is going to happen in this situation. Are they going to be able to get out of it? Brian is a very menacing character, but also the humor carries across as well because it's so written in such a way that there is those moments of funny that you sit back and you kind of chuckle and giggle at even though the situation is very tense and we you know brian is this trained assassin you really do believe he could kill her at any moment he talks about how effective his method of of assassination is because it's even quicker than using a gun because all he has to do is put thought to it Mm -hmm. and it happens and it's very menacing but then the little things that he says are very light sometimes too and you just chuckle at it and so it strikes a really good balance of of having both without you know feeling like there's this uh schizophrenia between you know thriller and comedy and it just it works really well there's a really good balance well and i I think it really adds to his character as far as the menace goes because like the book yeah there's that initial bit where he's chasing the doctor but then he aligns himself with the doctor so quickly that he never feels like much of a threat to the doctor himself yeah um he shows his effectiveness throughout the the book but this truly shows him as a as the menace that he could be if he's on the wrong side of the doctor and i think that really helps build and flesh out that character even more now keith you had said earlier that um that this you felt the story was set before the book, and that was one area well, that I did fall down of. a little bit on. Um, in a wibbly wobbly sort of way, yeah, since that's the kind book of. has to take place in a sense first, but then obviously, this is how Brian gets to be where he is in the book, so it's kind of a it happens before and after at the same time. Okay. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of what I was thinking is that this was a Brian before he met the the 10th doctor because he doesn't remember it is right. it's it's a bit linear and non-linear at the same time because this is also early in the doctor's life because this is his eighth incarnation rather than his 10th but what it's what 10 has done in the past in the dark times that's unraveled the, the situation here and it is brian uh, brian before he shows up in the book so it's kind of as keith adequately put it wibbly wobbly timey-wimey situation here for them both and i think that's where it worked for me because i think peppering in uh the eighth doctor's observation of how different this planet is from what he expected it to be or what it once was uh, that's what led me to believe okay well it's whatever has been triggered in the dark times by the 10th doctor is what's you know set this uh planet and everything that's happening now on a different course or a different path it also gives a very convincing uh, explanation for how Brian wound up in the dark times to begin with. It, it does and it doesn't yeah. because I think that we're still, I think there's some wiggle room because although I think this is basically how he got there, but I think there's still enough between this happening and him meeting up with uh, that ambassador that sets him on his path of assassination that I'm not sure... This is exactly how it happened. This obviously, they had to be separated so that the Eighth Doctor could meet up with the Daleks, which I believe is the next audio story in line for uh, for eight. 
but I don't know if we have seen all of Brian's story between him being flung off into the, the vortex and him actually ending up in the dark times, but it certainly does give them an avenue to go down to say, okay, this is how he got from point A to point B. Yeah, and what's nice is if they don't give us that story, there's you don't, there that you can exactly. fill that gap yourself. Yeah, right, you yeah. don't have to have it, but I think there could be more to it. In Maybe fact, that's what's on the t-shirt. No, I think I think I already know what's on the t-shirt. But I think what we'll probably get is I have a feeling in the next novel, because the Eighth Doctor's there, we'll get some explanation from at least Brian or Eight as to what happened in that interim. So that's yeah, what I suspect. Probably. Yeah, Or probably a short story with, say, an Ood action figure. Yeah. Yeah, that could be because that's coming down the line too, so. It's good stuff. I give it high marks. Um, I take a few away for the panto feel of the performances, but overall I thought it was a pretty good story. Yeah, overall it worked really well for me, and I enjoyed it. It's just still waiting for that uh, that perfect Western. <laughs> One with no Perhaps singing. you need to keep looking to Star Wars for that perfect Western instead of Doctor Who. Yeah, well, Mando sure got it right. <laughs> <laughs> they are sure doing it right. All right, well, should we move on to uh, the comic part two of Monstrous Beauty? Well, this one certainly picks up where the last one left off. I don't think we expected any less of it. Um, the Doctor uh, traveling with, what's the guy's name that he, you know, he ends up, like, I, I like the fact that they kind of just, dispatch of Rassilon quickly in order to move the story along by dumping them off on you know out into out of the ship into the planet onto the planet and then giving the explanation for why you know they're going to end up landing safely uh because of the little jiggery pokery that he did with the tractor beam um but what's the guy I can't, I I, I, einstein i don't know i can't remember the guy's name he's i'm not sure i could even pronounce it if it's uh is it andrikin is that the guy medicius andrikin I think it is. Sure, anyway, the, right. the, the, the the scientist guy. <laughs> the non-Doc Brown. Right, right. What I liked about this one is it gives us a little bit more background and ex- exhibition of what's happening, where the, where the war has, or why the war is happening at this point. I mean, we kind of know why, but it kind of fills in more of the background of, of what's happening. And we get a lot of that because of Andrew can, uh, you know, explaining to the doctor where we're kind of at. Um, briefly, it's not like it goes into a lot of boring background, but I think we get a better feel of where we're at at this point in the battle. Um, but I just, I, I was really kind of surprised by the length of this one. I think the first one we got was like 16 page, 16 or 17 pages long. This one was like half as much at about eight pages. So I was kind of surprised that they broke this. I almost made me wonder if they thought that this was, would be a two part story and they decided to spread it out over three or I don't read Dr. Who magazine as often as I'd like. Maybe the first part of a story a comic story and those books sized. are long, yeah. Anyway, and then they kind of break up the 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 next parts into shorter. I don't know if that's typical, but that seemed kind of odd that they went there with this. Although not a lot of happen, not a lot happens other than we find out that the uh, vampires aren't one large allegiance; that they are, they certainly have vampires in slavery as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, and I like the fact that. They kind of go what we do in the shadows with it and have a variety of different types of vampires. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, in fact, to the to the point that you know the the scientist guy uh, Andrewkin, he's very much the um, one sided. You know, all vampires are bad, but the you know the doctor kind of puts in perspective that you know you, you're kind of painting everybody with one brush because these guys are actually being suppressed by the other vampires. So it kind of gives a little it lends a little sympathy to the characters in the in the book. Not not the not the bad guys, the really bad guys, but it's not, a, it kind of, you know, it, 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 things aren't as black and white as they seem here. And I think that's what I kind of liked about that. I agree. I think the, um, it, it threw me a little bit because when we first started, of course, we, we kind of jump right back in where we left off. Yeah. And it took me a minute to figure out what had happened because, well, that last comic was, you know, a month ago whenever we read it. So <laughs> my poor brain is like, la, 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 la. Okay, ninth doctor. Okay, resetting. What is with this ship? Who's this old guy? Who did they just dump out the door? <laughs> oh yeah, Rasslon. Okay, yeah. Now I'm current. So it, it really kind of took me a minute to get back in the um, thing, and I don't know if I missed it or uh, if there wasn't a last time. Um, which these are short enough; you don't necessarily. No, need and they those, typically don't do that. They t- I would have liked yeah. one. They typically don't do that in the. Uh, the, the serialized ones in the comics we get that at the we, uh, maybe that's why uh, maybe that's why you felt like you were missing that because w- they do sort of do that in the titan comics at the beginning yeah. they'll kind of catch us back up but i think in the the serial nature of these particular comics in doctor who magazine they don't necessarily do that or feel they have to do that either although yeah, it, i mean it certainly <laughs> makes sense i think they kind of expect you if you've forgotten to pick up the last issue and take a look which is what i did to jog my memory before i started into this one because i sort of suspected we'd pick up right at the action where we left off um but um yeah getting into it was like okay yeah and we're back here and thing i uh i thoroughly enjoyed the the coffin ships yes the idea that they kind of look like giant cathedrals okay upside that's down kind of cathedrals upside down. i loved that great visualization um and the fact that not all of the vampires uh at least at this point are bloodthirsty uh uh bloodthirsty bloodsuckers you know that there is this uh captain of the guard or whatever he is that seems to still have a little bit of honor and uh for lack of a better word humanity about him mm-hmm. okay that's cool that's great and then the little friar has to show up and ruin the vibe. <laughs> now, admittedly, the not Doc Brown character had pretty much served his purpose at this point. Yeah. And the moment the Doc told him, yes, I'm from your future, he, you know, reasoned all this out on his own. He's a smart scientist. But the moment the Doc confirmed that, it was like, Oh, buddy, you just became <laughs> expendable. <laughs> mm-hmm. From a storytelling standpoint, yeah. you, you you are now you're a liability, and uh, I kind of I, I kind of applaud them for taking care of it so quickly because yeah. it, it's you know very easily could have been dragged out for another couple of issues, and I would have been fretting about this poor guy until they did eventually kill him off. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was not happy with the the friar. So then, oh, you know, where's Rose? She's with my mistresses. Let's go, you know, no, 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 no. And we go down and look, and the mistresses are all, <laughs> I don't know exactly what happened, that she's, you know, more spirited than we thought. And then the reveal that Rose is now Bride of Dracula. <laughs> Which was cool and unexpected. And 
I'm very curious now to know where they go with that. And I think I enjoyed this issue more than, than, than the previous ones. Um, and I hate to say this, but primarily because Rose wasn't in it. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking the same thing, Sean. It it, it kind of like, Oh, all right, cool. We're having this adventure. And, And now I'm concerned for Rose. So if she doesn't act like Rose at all in the next issue because she's a, an undead, then, you know, all right, that's a, that's a good reason for that. So. <laughs> well, the, the ironic thing is I didn't realize Rose wasn't in it until she showed up. Because <laughs> I was also swept up in everything else that was going on that I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. Oh, yeah, there's Rose, too. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think that's what, that's what I liked a lot about it, not the fact that she wasn't in it, but the fact that the, the ending, the, doing what they did with it, that was a bold move and that made for a really great cliffhanger. Oh my gosh, what has happened? What is wrong with Rose? What I'm what I'm afraid of is that there's going to be a simpler explanation. No, what I'm afraid of is there won't be a simpler explanation than what there is and we'll have to do some sort of unbelievable reversion thing. And I think that's what that's what if they can sell it to me on how she's reverted if it is in fact necessary for her to revert if they can sell it to me, I'll be okay with it. But if it's not simple enough that it's like, uh, oh, we pulled a wool over on your eyes, she's really not a vampire, which I would be perfectly fine with. If it's not simple enough to explain how we get her back to being Rose, then I think I might have a problem with it if they don't do it well. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. But boy, the ending, the ending was great. I really liked oh, it. Oh, the ending yeah, was so great. It was a great cliffhanger. I think if I, I if I if I were to have a complaint, um, I don't feel like I got near enough time in the confines of the coffin ship mm. to really explore what a totally rich and nutty idea that is, and what little bit we did get felt very kind of ho hum. These are the overlords. You're the miners. Stoke the engines. Here we go. Kind of you know, it's always an enslaved race, which again totally makes sense for vampires, but. Yeah. I, I I was just kind of like, oh, I was hoping for maybe a little more there, but that's yeah. my only complaint about this issue. I certainly liked it better. Well, than, I, than I the can first. see that. Yeah, I can see that. And we still might get more of it next issue too. Yeah, very true. Knock on wood. Hopefully. Well, what else to say about this one? It's pretty short. There's not much else. You can. It I was have. really short. It that's felt true. really short. There wasn't a lot to it. Yeah. Well, again, it was, it was half. It was half the length of the last one, so I guess not. I, I was confused because of that. The, the, I remember the, the the last one felt more like a you know a comic. Yeah. And, and this one was you know we went eight pages and stopped, and I then was confused by the numbering. I thought maybe I'd missed something in our schedule because it was like, well, was this issue two or three? Mm, yeah. Because or segment two or three. I'm not sure how they 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 split them up. But part 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 two. But yeah. Um, it was good for a short time. To be fair, there was less action in this and a lot more talking. So uh, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, that yeah, that's certainly true. Because there's so. a there's a lot of action at the beginning of this, and then there's a lot of uh, discussion, and then there's a lot of action at the end of it. But it's kind of sandwiched yeah. between all of that kind of a lot, you know, uh, of talking and exhibition, as I was saying earlier. Yeah, the first part burned through a lot of panels with big sweeping action scenes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, very good. Well, should we uh, talk about what's coming up on the schedule? Well, we can talk about what's coming up on the schedule. Uh, next week, we will be stepping away, kind of, 
uh, from Time Lord Victorious in order to review a uh, new and upcoming book. Now, is this still new and upcoming, or will this it, it be has released? it has really it's actually it has released. released it is out now. Yeah, uh, the Wintertime Paradox by David Rudin. I believe that's how you say his name. Rudin we'll or have Rudin. to get confirmation on that. It might be Rudin. R U D D E N. Uh, David has crafted a holiday uh, a compilation of short stories uh, set in the Doctor Who universe, and uh, we will be reviewing that thanks to the generosity of the publishers who sent us an advanced copy, uh, along with a short uh, called Canaries, which is a, a short story written by David that ties in to Time Lord Victorious. So it kind of bridges the gap between the, the, the holiday collection of shorts and the, uh, the ongoing uh, TLV event. So that is next week. And then we go back into uh, Time Lord Victorious the following week um, with uh, a couple of things, including The Enemy of My Enemy, which is a full-blown Big Finish audio drama, uh, another installment of the Doctor Who comic maker, and a short story that comes with the new Eagle Moss Hero Collector uh, Dalek Emperor and Dalek Drone Toys, which I don't know if you can technically call them toys or action figures because they are figurines, sculpted yeah, they, figurines. Yeah, in fact, I think they're they're metal involved in them, so diecast. It would be more it'd be more accurate to call them in action figures. Yeah, <laughs> Fing, <laughs> but they're very cool looking. Fingers crossed on that one. I'm still waiting for my order to show up. <laughs> that, that is the plan at this point. So. And uh, uh, more uh, scheduling will be on the uh, website soon. Yeah, so be, sh be sure to check out. <laughs> <laughs> be sure to check out that website, travelingvortex.com, for updates uh, so that you can see what's coming up on the schedule when Sean gets it posted. And if you get any value out of this podcast, why not consider putting some value back into it? You can do that by clicking on the patron link that you can find there and consider supporting us. And we thank you for those of you that are. Also, please, please consider giving a five-star review on whatever uh, avenue you subscribe to our podcast on, like iTunes or things like that. Uh, it helps bump us up in the ratings and, of course, uh, puts us up higher in the recommendations when uh, – when you're looking for podcasts or others are looking, if you're listening to this, you've probably found us, but if others are looking for a podcast that might be doctor who related, it helps us there as well. And make sure you join in the conversation in our listeners forum on Facebook. Um, there's uh, where I think we're, we're sort of getting some of the, the talk and discussion going there, but I'd like to see more people kind of join, join up and, and uh, throw in on the, the conversation. And we have to thank Jamie. Who's, who's really been doing a good job of, of striking up some conversations on there. Uh, and we're, we're certainly trying to engage, but we'd like to get a lot of more people, a lot more of our listeners to engage on there as well. So be sure and share your thoughts and insights with us and others. Yeah, don't definitely don't let me ramrod that conversation either. Um, you know, if I reply to something and you completely disagree with me, jump in and say so. And if you completely agree with me, jump in and say so. Yeah, because, you know, <laughs> if you completely disagree with him like I do most of the time, I jump in and say, so you might as well help me. So <laughs> maybe, maybe it'll come to fisticuffs. <laughs> That's what Facebook's for, right? That's right. Um, also, uh, be sure to check out our uh, uh, Goodreads uh, book club, Traveling Vortex book club, over on Goodreads. And I saw that Holly has posted another poll, so we are voting on December's book of the month. And uh, I didn't get a chance to see what we ended up on for November, so I'll have to check that out when I go over there as well. Anything else we need to talk about before we close the show, fellas? 
Just a brief plug for uh, our, our sister podcast, uh, The Five-ish Fangirls, which is not all Doctor Who related, but a lot of fun. Uh, and then, of course, uh, our tie-in with uh, Sci-Fi For Me TV uh, over uh, with uh, Tartar Sauce. And if I can do a shameless plug for Flicks With Friends for all your movie review needs, yeah. which a new episode coming tomorrow, if all goes well, knock on wood. <laughs> All right, very good, Will. If that's going to do it for this time, until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. Now I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied. <laughs>